G'day and welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 892, my interview with Benjamin Hardy. We're talking about a couple of his books, but this one in particular, Personality Isn't Permanent. I hope you really enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome here to another episode on the Hidden Wire podcast, a long format interview with none other than Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Guys, you're going to absolutely love this interview. If you're like me, I was just blown away. I said to Ben when we wrapped it up, I said, man, I, I probably, there was probably over consumption. I got so much content, so much value from Ben in the first half. And in the second half, when he started talking about his new book, Personality Isn't Permanent, I was just blown away. It's so much depth. And it's really exciting, actually. I'm really looking forward to reading that book entirely. I read Willpower Doesn't Work. Um, last year, I did a review on the Hidden White podcast too, so you can check it out in episode 625 or alternatively read it at thehiddenwhite.com, episode 625. Just a phenomenal read, well-written work. I loved his writing style, but I loved the value um, that, he, that he wrote about the, the, the stories he shared, the tools that he shared about willpower versus environment and how we can change our behaviors by perhaps changing our environment. And we talked a lot about that in this interview as well. And then we headed into his new area of work, which he claims to be 10 times better than his previous work. So inspiration enough to go out there and pick up a copy of his book and have a read. Guys, terminality isn't permanent. Change the way you see your future self and you can change your personality. And that's sort of where we talk about. I said to Ben, maybe I need to consume this interview again because there was so much quality content that um, you just need to you know, digest it and maybe your second round will help do that. Guys, I really hope you enjoy my interview with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Cheers. G'day, Ben, and welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Glad to have you here. Grateful to be with you, man. Mate, I've, I've um, really looked forward to this interview. I read your book last year, which was titled Willpower Doesn't Work, and absolutely loved it. I loved your writing style, but also loved the the concepts behind your writing that sort of debunked a lot of the things that were often told about willpower and, and changing behaviors and habits and things like that. So I got a lot of value out of your book and certainly um, have done a post. It was episode 625 on my podcast and uh, that review's uh, been received very well from the audience that listens in here. So uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you, man, on opposite sides of the planet. Glad we're going to be talking to each other. Yeah, for sure. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Orlando, Florida. Okay, yeah, and um, evening time there. Mm-hmm. Yep, 6.50 p.m. 6:50, as we speak. 6.50 p.m. And what's your evening routine like, Ben? Uh, usually I don't do stuff like this, but uh, for you we catered. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, happy to. Uh, usually uh, I'm done with work by 3 p.m. often okay. if I can. Usually pick up the kids. We got two kids in uh, elementary school. We have a third who's you know 12 years old, but he's doing homeschool. So I'll, I'll pick up the kids at school at about 3.15 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then just Go home, be present with the kids. We'll do homework. We'll play, you know, sports or you know, just hang out. And then we usually do dinner about six. Uh, we do like you know, like a family, you know, reading or scripture or just like kind of gathering, um, you know, just for a little bit between like seven and eight. And then kids go to bed at eight. My wife and I usually hang out and go to bed around eight thirty nine ish. And then uh, that's about it, man. I you must start early. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I try to try to get going about five. Um, work from about five and go till about three. You know, so yeah, I like going to bed fairly early. I mean, I'm pretty fried at that point, anyways. But I I find that the evening hours, hmm. you know, speaking about willpower, usually your willpower is lowest at the end of the day because you've sucked all your energy. Um, Absolutely. 
And so usually your evening hours are poorly spent anyways. Uh, yeah. Usually they're, you're, you're kind of fried and you're just, when you have low power, willpower, what you want, your body wants to consume stuff. Your body wants to consume dopamine, you know, things that generate dopamine. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and fast. So you're saying when your energy is depleted at the end of the day, you, your body desires more of those dopamine hits. To, um, well, it, it, not to only keep, does it want dopamine hits, yeah. it just wants fast. It wants it wants dopamine hits just because it wants to feel good, but it also wants short term, you know, high energy. So like stuff like sugar, fast carbs, you know, things that just give it a fast boost, but ultimately not a quality boost. Yeah. are are what the what the body and brain go for with low dopamine. So you see. Um, junk food eating, just kind of binge, you know, just anything that's generating fast, fast release dopamine um, is what you'll go for at night if you've if you've worked hard through the day. And if mm. you're, you know, and so for me, you know, an obvious antidote is just go to bed an hour earlier so that you avoid a lot avoid of that this. chaos. Yeah. yeah, and you can you can also then get you know more and better recovery. So I think one one other additional key to an evening routine, and it, it also fits with willpower, mm. is Know what you're going to do, at least one thing when you wake up. At least have one clear target that you've already made the decision on of what you're going to do because that eliminates decision fatigue when you're laying in bed and the alarm's going off. If you, if you, so decision fatigue is a big part of willpower and it's just the idea that you're not totally sure what you're going to do. And so as a result, you've got to kind of make a decision in the heat of the moment and usually the situation or the power of the situation wins. So if you're on your bed and the alarm just went off and you're tired and you're and you're not sure what to do because you haven't made a decision and yep. you haven't laid it out and you're forcing yourself to make the decision right then and there rather than having done it beforehand, that's a bad situation to make a decision. So usually willpower is not going to win in that situation. Usually you're going to hit the snooze button and you're going to hit back because you set yourself up for failure. The same is true, you know, if you're trying to do a diet and you haven't fully decided what you're going to do, and then you're in a you know a situation where you're offered you know like a nice dessert, yep. then you're leaving the decision to a bad situation. So I think the other key to avoiding bad decision making is to make the de- just one choice. You know, so it could be simple. Just what are you going to what are you going to drill out first? What's your first move, uh, or what's a, the one thing you want to accomplish? Yeah, what's the one thing you want to knock out? Like let's just say within the first ninety minutes of your mm-hmm. morning, so that you can wake up. And you already got it. You already know what you're going to do. And there's no decisions to be made. There's just get up and get going at it. And that that allows you to just follow through with the decision, which builds confidence, rather than trying to make a decision, which leads to, you know, usually the situation crushing your willpower. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we I often ask guests on the show what their routines are like, and um, this is a great starting point really for that, but also a segue into, you know, your previous book, Willpower Doesn't Work. What what do you what is that one thing that you start with? Because I know morning routines for me are very powerful, and um, because I've done it consistently, it's a lot easier now. But it wasn't always that way. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say I do. I would say the one thing that's hyper consistent almost always mm. uh, is journaling. Uh, okay. There's other things that occur. You know, sometimes I've got to get up and just get writing because I'm on a book deadline, or sometimes I've got way more time, so I'm going to get up and go for a run and listen to an audiobook. Um, but always within the mix. So it changes Whatever. a little bit, but there's a there's a yeah, select yeah, yeah. Up things. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but 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 always always within the mix is journaling. So I mean I like waking up, you know, generally ish five 
if I'm sick or tired or just on a like on a recovery week or something, I'll just let myself sleep whenever. But like nine weeks out of ten, I'm I'm gonna be up at five, and I like to as fast as I can. Yeah. Hide, super hydrate, get myself out of the environment, get myself. I try. I jump in yeah. my car and just go. Uh, I just go somewhere else, even if it's just to an, a different park, you know, a different neighborhood or a different parking lot to get myself my mind moving. Your your changing environments is really good for heightening um, your mindfulness and kind of your your flow state. It's just good to uh, get yourself high on attention because moving environments is just novelty it's just movement um so they you know the research shows that just by changing environments you you'll, you usually have a quick little boost of of new energy and because novelty creates you know attention so i get myself out of the environment either go straight to my my house you know my other house which is like an office that i use which is where i'm at now or i'll go park somewhere and i'll start journaling before i go for like a little workout or something well, as but soon as you I'll, get out of bed just get out of the house yeah, yeah, yeah. Hydrate and get out of there. Like yeah. just, just get yourself moving. Get out of there. Um, because you can linger and you can be pretty slow motion in the morning. Uh, and so I think it's just good to get yourself out, get yourself moving, hit a destination. And for me, then I just, you know, pull out the journal. I listen to some some pretty cool music that just kind of gets me centered. And I, yeah. then I'll just, uh, I'll just get journaling, man. I, I do a little meditation and prayer before I journal, and then I'll just write about you know, what I'm working on, what I'm doing, what I'm dealing with, what I'm trying to accomplish, who my future self is, uh, and what I, you know, what I'm ultimately about, what I'm committed to, who I'm going to be that day. Okay. How do you find the, um, journaling process has evolved since you, how long you've been journaling for? I've been journaling, uh, intensely for yeah. about 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. Now. So hmm. yeah, I, I feel probably going on a hundred journals. Um, yeah, I, I got really into it serving a church mission, which I talked about, and willpower doesn't work quite a bit. Mm. And uh, yeah, I really started getting into it then, and that's actually when I learned how to kind of connect on the subconscious level and, and write from a you know stream of consciousness manner and kind of make find clarity and insights through writing, um, which I think journaling can be. It can be a, a great tool for yeah. emotional regulation where you just write about if you're stressed or if you've got former traumas. It's a great tool for kind of doing a quick reframe and getting into a state of gratitude or putting yourself into a state of gratitude. It's also a great tool for learning, just learning about yourself, tapping into things. I mean, a lot of my um, ideas, whether it be for books or journal or for articles or just for whatever, have come just by giving myself space, five to 15 minutes, just writing and just in a free flow, free flow writing session, yeah. making some unique connections. Uh, and I think doing it in the morning um, when, you're, when your mind's fresh, when you've just woken up, when you're in a kind of a neutral environment where there's mm. not distractions, allows you to allows your mind to go places you wouldn't have expected, and you can make some connections, whether it be about something you should do or or even just two ideas together, and you're like, oh, there you go, boom. So, but so doing that in a different environment might be uh, might be something of of thought. Yeah, I mean that's why I actually do it in my car generally, is because I you know there's nothing okay. there, you know, like I just I just love riding in my car because especially kind of in the dark, you know, when it's like five and six in the morning, yeah. there's just nothing there except for me. And I've got my lights on in the car. But uh, as far as the process itself, my journals used to be a lot cleaner. Like I would, I, they would be more like sentences and paragraphs and they still are like, but like, you know, if, I think that they would, they would have been better reading like maybe like five years ago, even probably five, seven, 10 years ago yeah. was, it would have been better reading. But I mean, no one, I don't write them for anyone. Uh, for me, it's literally just a tool for clarity, for insight, for, for yeah. confidence. Um, 
and for for uh, for regulation. So they're a lot more sketchy now as far as how they look. Uh, a lot of bullets, a lot of pictures. I mean, I still do paragraphs and stuff, and I'll have long sessions here and there. But one of the things that I've done over the last probably year, hmm. which I've learned from Dan Sullivan, um, and not exactly Dan, but I've learned from a number of mentors. I, what I do, they don't actually do this, but I've stolen a few of their questions, some of their prompts. Yep. Um, in the front cover of my journals, I have five questions. I go through about one journal a month, and on the inside cover of my journal, there's just like bl- a blank page. And I'll answer a four, five questions on the front of the blank page. The first one is, where am I right now? So yep. I'll have the date, you know, I'll have the date of the journal. Could be like, you know, February 20th, 2020, you know, it's like, where am I right now? And I just list like four or five things just to kind of give a, a snapshot of where I'm at right now. So like with your mental clarity, mood, No, 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 just like the actual location. logistical. Okay. Yeah, so like if someone were to open the journal, they'd be like, okay, so like this is when he was 32 years old, you know, living in Florida, like, you know, working on his book launch, um, you know, spending good time with his kids, like working on his health. Like, yeah. so just where am I right now? And then the next question is, what are the, what are, what are the wins from my last 90 days? So I just, I just detail like four or five achievements. They don't, they can be personal or professional over the last 90 days, just to kind of give a sense of what's been going on in my life, what I've been up to, what I've been focused on. And do you write these down as you, as you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's on the inside cover of every journal. So every 30 days I actually go through this again. Yep. Um, okay. And then, and then it's like, then the next question is, what are the wins I want from the next 90 days? And I just write, what are the things I'm focused on right now that I'm actively trying to knock out? Like, you know, like five, five bullets, just what are the, what, and then, and then I've got what's, you know, who's my future self three years from now. Uh, And I just list out like three to five bullets of like where I'm, where, where I'm targeting. And then I've got, who do I want to be like essentially one year from now, my one year goals. And so I just, I have those five questions on the front cover of every journal I've got. And so when I, when I start a journaling session, you know, I've already in the in new and fresh environment, I've hydrated myself, turn on some chill music with my headphones. Um, and then I, uh, you know, have a, a little bit of meditation, just prayer, just kind of zone my breathing. And then I just scope those, those, those questions, those prompts, just to kind of re-remind myself of what I'm, what I'm targeting. Looking at what you've done over the last 90 days um, is something that is not heavily utilized. It's no. not utilized in, as far as like just measuring progress and just seeing wins, I, I find that if oh, it's you motivating and uplifting, it's Positive. incredibly motivating and uplifting. Mm. Just, just, just I, I, people. You, what, what the sad part is, is that we we actually forget a lot of the things that occurred because we don't take the time to just simply like reflect on like what what actually happened in the last ninety days. Holy yeah. cow, more yeah. happened than I thought. Um, and I can relate because not only I'm thinking ahead, I'm thinking about the future. What's next? What's next? What I got to do today? You know, and and that causes mm. me a lot of anxiety and stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think taking a minute just to reflect on what you, where you've gone, even mm. in the last nine days gives you that sense of movement and morale. You're like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, some good stuff has happened in the recent past that boosts my confidence. Uh, that's a good thing to start feeling first thing in the morning. And then obviously just taking a peek at, at your short term goals, your long term vision. Um, yeah what you're trying to nail out for the year let's just say 2020 and then yeah. then i just start writing man i just just dump it and i don't give my i mean sometimes i'm five minutes sometimes i'm 30 i just it's just whatever i've got time for that morning or whatever i'm flowing on so yeah five minutes 30 minutes and you've obviously got this into a daily uh, you know ritual for yourself now when you were starting out if you can reflect back because i'm i'm struggling with journaling at the moment to be honest and i actually stopped journaling last year and it was a choice um and i just didn't want to write anymore uh, or journal, I should say. So I stopped journaling. And this year, after reading a bit more and listening to some podcasts and reading about stoicism, 
I started to, you know, understand the benefits and really connect with that again. And, and I've started to try and implement a practice and an evening practice this time rather than a morning practice. But certainly yeah, yeah, getting yeah. that consistency down is, is, is my battle at the moment. And this is why I should do it in the morning because in the evening, like you said earlier, my energy is depleted. I'm just like, oh, you know, I'd like to go in there and do a bit of journaling, but often it's just, um, I'm, I'm tired. Like I'm, I'm like you, I go to bed at nine and wake up at four or something like that. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's good to to take the pressure off yourself at the end of the day and just allow yourself to to be done rather than feel like get, you know feel like you got to do one do more things. thing. Yeah, yeah then you're, you're feeling all you're guilty right. and you're not really recovering and you're you're kind of stressing yourself out and kind of always thinking, oh man, I got to do one more thing and or I'm not coming up short. Sure, there's a lot of there's a lot of goodness and just at the end of the day, you know, and I, I think it's good to actually have just a few a few things each day that you want to knock out, like from an eighty twenty perspective. Rather than thinking about doing a million things, it's like how could how could you do like two to two to four things or two to three things that are the things that really matter today? Mm. I mean, obviously we got we got busy days, but after you knock those things out that you know are results focused, you know, giving yourself the breather to say day day's done, boom. And I think that's why the morning routine's great because it it allows you to knock out first things first, and then yeah. you just uh, and you you know so you don't have to feel like you're behind always, and you just do the few things. You know, for me, it's really just about clearing the fog of your mind. And about becoming intentional about what you're up to. And also, yeah. if you want, it could be a platform for getting pearls of insights that otherwise you just wouldn't be tapping into. But for the most part, it's just about, you know, for you, journaling could literally be just in the morning listing out, you know, what, you know, you could have just a few bullets. It could be literally a, a two to three minute exercise where you just bullet out, like, you know, who's my future self? Like, you know, what am I ultimately going for? What's my one major goal? Hmm. And then what are the three things that I want to accomplish today? And you just like write four, four, four bullets. One is top goal and then three things I'm going to do today. And that could be your journaling if you want. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't No, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just a nice. And then if you want to clear the fog a little bit, you could write a little bit about just kind of where you're at right now and what you're going through or what you're dealing with if you want. But, uh, you know, yeah, I guess someone like that, you, that it's got to be like yourself. five minutes or mm. less. Yeah. Um, no, that's great, mate. And I'll certainly use those questions. I'll, I'll put them in my diary today and, um, yeah, just figure out uh, what sort of questions I could add to that and, um, yeah, start with that process again. What, um, yeah. when you talk about willpower in your book, you, you, you sort of refer to the environment being the, the, the essential thing here, not so much the willpower. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm not sure so much what it's like in Australia as far mm. as cultural perspectives, but here in America, we're very individualistic. We're very focused on on the self. Very, you know, this, this is a self help book as an example, and we yeah. we tend to isolate and abstract things. We like to isolate things, and and so as people, we like to think that we are who we are, independent of everything else. That you know. Rather than the fact that, you know, I'm, I, the, I am the way I am because of the culture I was born in and because of the peer group around me and because of my experiences, like we, we tend to ignore context. Yeah. Um, but when I got my PhD in psychology, I came to really understand that context is kind of the, the, the king and that context is, is really far more powerful than content and that content, context shapes context or sorry, context, context shapes content. content. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when you change the content, the con, when you sh when you change the context, the content will change. And and that's true biologically. I mean, 
Dr. Bruce Lipton, but a lot of other people, you know, this is true in kind of biology now at this point, when you take various cells, you put them in different Petri dishes and they'll become fat or bone or something else, muscle, because of just kind of the, the uh, environmental medium. Um, yep. And so they call that epigenetics at this point, you know, the, you know, the, our, the environment kind of determines which genes turn on and off, uh, or at least, you know, how we interact with that environment. And so psychologically, it's true too. Um, mm. You know, if, you know, we, our goals, our attitudes, I mean, there's so much research on social group, just as an example, that yeah. your social group, you know, influences everything in your life from your chances to be successful, your chances to be a criminal, your chances to be an entrepreneur, your chances to be religious, like social groups, huge, but also just environment in general, you know, mm -hmm. the types of food you eat, um, how you view the world. It's, 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 it's all a big part of, you know, what surrounds you. And so mindfulness is, and so the first step is just becoming aware that chances are who you are <laughs> is not fundamentally of your own choosing, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of, of what's, what, what you've been around, you know, the family you grew up in, the friends you chose, um, you know, just the culture you're in general. Just, mm -hmm. you know, as an example, if, if, if you had been born, you know, 500 years ago in a different country, you'd probably be a little different, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. Uh, you'd have a different cultural situation. Uh, you'd see the world differently. You'd have different goals. You'd have different tastes. Uh, you can only make choices if you have options. And in certain contexts, you have options, and in certain contexts, you don't. Um, you know, and, I, and that became very real to me when we became foster parents of three kids when I was in my first year of my PhD program. We took these three kids from a, mm -hmm. a tough background and a very limiting background, and they didn't they, they didn't have the capability to to be healthy, good kids because they were in a very limiting environment where their parents were totally neglectful. Their parents were on drugs. They were just living out in the country, uh, barely, you know, t terrible food, just put in front of the TV, given uh, cough syrup if they weren't going to bed just so that they would go to bed. Like they're just, just like, you can't really thrive, yeah, you know, when you're a kid in that type no. of chaos. And so you put these kids in a different context where they've got better options and better choices and, you know, you give them some structure and routine and healthy food and emotional support. And you also, expose them to a lot of other things you take them all over the world you show them new things give them good experiences help them get some healthy sleep on a nightly basis get them to school like all of a sudden they, they become different um i also become different you know like me and my wife became very different when we became parents because imagine. it was such a mm. high pressure situation we had never been parents before all of a sudden we've got these three kids and uh now we're having to deal with stuff that you know you can't really well that's a radical change to your context isn't it bringing in Three foster Enormous. Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the Will Durant quote always comes to my mind. You know, Will Durant, the historian, said the ability of the average person could be doubled if the situation demanded it. Yes, um, yeah. So and that for me, often it's fa about... fascinates me by my, uh, you know, parents' generation, for example. They seem to yeah, start well, a lot... Happened? Well, they just seem to start a lot earlier and I often think about it. You know, in their 20s, they were having kids and, and going out there and starting businesses and stuff, whereas these days, it's it's not the same. I mean, we're some, some of us are still living home until 30 um, not having kids until you know mid thirties or late thirties. Um, yeah, that's a product of culture. Because you know, and, you know uh, they got pushed into those those situations. Yeah, I don't think that was a bad thing. I mean, no, uh, we have our so. we have our twelve year old kid reading a book right now called "Do Hard Things," and it's about it's written by these two teenage kids, and it's about how actually like a hundred years ago, or even more like teenage years were actually the time for kids to grow up. Like when, when kids turned 10, you know, or 12, like they were out working, they got jobs, like they were mm. expected to grow up. Mm. Um, 
but then we kind of as a culture turned it into cushion you know the te- the teens are the time to just kind of relax and you still essentially be a kid and you figure stuff out in your 20s uh, well now we're at this culture as you were just describing where um, we've really pushed off the 20s and now it's like you can maybe start to become an adult when you're in your 30s or late 30s and you can start making those decisions but this is just cultural trends and it's literally what it actually is is it's just pushing responsibility and decision making and choosing an identity off um, it's yeah it's just it's just slowing your emotional said. development slowing mm. the so slowing situational pressure slowing uh, required growth and so yeah. you know for for us you know I'm 32 years old and I'm not trying to, you know, say I'm an, uh, an all-star, but I'm just saying like we have five kids, you know, we have to, we're figuring it out. Um, but I think we're a hundred percent better off because of it, you know, and we're, we're, yeah, we're tired and we're figuring stuff out. We're falling flat on our faces a lot of time. We're needing a lot of support, but it, it, it forces me on a daily basis to do a lot of things. Whereas if I wasn't in this situation, I would probably just be kicking it. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't be required mm. to grow and develop. So my situation in my environment which we designed and, and purposefully chose is is creating a lot of organic growth and development in me and my wife and also our kids and so that's that's a big way of looking at environment as a po- more powerful medium than just none of this growth could have occurred without putting if it, I was just yeah, yeah if, if I was just trying to do it in a non you know high 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 end situation you know I call it an enriched situation but like if I was just trying to do this learning it through books or like through intellect or like through some other way without like the actual situation. I don't think any of this growth would have been possible. No. So when you got the foster kids, did you have a couple of kids already or are they all foster kids? No, never, never did it, man. Never had kids before. We were in our first year of graduate school, both of us. And we just, well, what prompted that? Why is it just because you're, you're passionate about, you know, I wish I, I wish that was the case, man. It was my wife. She uh, she was the one who was passionate about it. She was yeah. the one who grew up with foster kids in her home, and it was her desire and her interest. And you know, when okay. you uh, when you have a shared purpose and a shared passion, you support each other in that. And so, I mean, I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't it wasn't my decision, but I was on board. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so okay. we uh, we went for it. I mean, you can. What made sense to me when I read that book, Willpower Doesn't Work, is how much that i guess context really does change the content and you can see by you know a number of different things and my examples would be watching the news on a daily basis when i, switched, I think that's big. you know when i switched that off the content my life changed in in a big way and it's it's not a big way but it is a big way you know what i mean and then other things like um just changing like like you said earlier getting outside your environment going for a, a walk so if i'm feeling a little bit down or a bit blue or whatever if I go out for a walk, go out for a jog, go for a swim, get out of my environment, it changes my mood dramatically. And so that's yep. when I read your book, I thought, you know, it absolutely makes sense what we are exposed to, what we consume, but also the experiences we put ourselves in front of will absolutely change the trajectory of our, our life. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think, you know, so psychologically about 95% of our behavior and outcomes are subconscious 95 percent and subconscious basically means you're on autopilot and so your subconscious and your environment are very heavily connected they're just kind of like feedback and feeding off each other so i mean you're you could wake up grab your phone just kind of go through the motions go to work like you just you find yourself in the same roles in the same environments in the same situations having the same experiences that you had yesterday and you're essentially on autopilot through most of this um but yeah if you start thinking more proactively and if you start 
being a, lot, a little more intentional and putting yourself in new and different situations and having new and different experiences, experiencing new and different emotions, putting yourself in new and different roles, change becomes inevitable. Yes. Um, so transforming yourself uh, is not necessarily rocket science. The problem for most people is they keep having the same experiences over and over and over yeah. um, and keep putting themselves in the same contexts and in the same situations every single day rather than around new people, uh, trying new things. I mean, one of the things that uh, Dan Sullivan, a friend of mine, said is that I really liked. He said, novelty and intensity are the two things that you really need to kind of anti-age. You know, as you get older, and, and this is true in the research, too, what the research shows is that people become progressively less open to having new experiences as they age, yeah. less open to seeing new things, trying new things. Um, and so if you're, if, you're continue, if you're continuing to experience novelty and intensity, difficulty and challenge and and pressure and and uh, continuing to do and experience new things and seeing things from new perspectives. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna keep active. Your cognitive decline won't drop. You'll 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 stay you know agile and flexible, and you'll keep 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 evolving rather than at some point just kind of keeling out and zoning over. You know, zoning out. Yeah, then blending with your environment. Yeah, yeah. You start to well, you start joining. to blend. Yeah, you yeah. start to blend with an environment rather than continuing to evolve and adapt to different new ones. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense, um, and I love that too. Novelty and intensity, and um, I mean, I, th I suppose that's quite, quite inspiring in itself. Just listening to that, you know, it makes you think about, for me personally, what I could do differently today, what I could do differently this week, to add that novelty and add that intensity. So I'm really always continuing to challenge myself um, with those things. I suppose where willpower may come into it, and I could be wrong, but what are your thoughts? Is that whilst the idea is is grand and changing the context is important to make that change to make that decision to change is what's hard could be could be um could be. like how do you deal because I, I assume that's where a lot of people get unstuck because i'd like to change my environment so i can you know have new experiences and hopefully ultimately change whatever behavior particularly it is that i don't like but changing that environment might be difficult yeah, I mean, it could be. And I think that getting small wins is big. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, the ability to make decisions has a lot to do with confidence. And a lack of confidence leads to a, a low desire to try to make decisions because decisions uh, come with commitment and, and co consequence. And, and if you don't believe you're going to follow through, then you're probably not going to commit. And so you're not going to try. And so I think getting small wins allows you to to get more flexible in making decisions and in putting yourself in new situations yeah. and becoming more adaptive. And so I think just starting small. Start uh, small. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I find that elimination is generally the easy first step rather than trying something new. Like eliminate, you know, eliminate two to five things from your environment that you already know aren't in alignment with your desired future self. Like eliminate the apps that you already know have sucked and waste dozens of hours of life, just eliminate them and just give yourself a week without them. Like yep. take, take all your junk food and just throw it out and mm -hmm. just take it out. Like elimination of the things that you already know are kind of pulling you the wrong direction anyways or are distracting you from ultimately being the person you want to be, whether it be for yourself, for your business, for your kids, whatever. Just eliminate like three to five things and, and that's a big win. Yep. Um, you know, and then maybe I think another another thing as a starting point, aside from journaling, I think journaling is like one of the most easy starting points because you can just sit in your 
in your head by yourself in private and just, you know, like lay out, you know, writing out what are the things I'm dealing with or that I'm not happy with or that, you know, are frustrating me or that have hurt me or that, you know, have held me back writing about things in the past, but also like genuinely writing out what would I truly want? Who yes. do I want to be? Um, mm. What would I change if I could? What, what environments or situations would be interesting or compelling? Like giving yourself some space. Um, also then maybe having some conversations, talking with some people. Um, there's this there's this quote that says, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So I think actually allowing yourself to think about things. Think about, you know, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? What kind of experiences or situations do I want to try? How do I want to change? And then take those thoughts when you've actually given yourself some space to think and think about your thinking hmm. and start expressing it, telling people, you know, like, Hey, look, these are some of the things I want to do or change or try. And, and when you hear yourself actually vocalize and verbalize it, especially to, um, to an, encur an encouraging audience, then mm. you, you start to, it, it starts to become more real to you where you start to entertain the idea. You know, maybe that maybe I will or could see myself experimenting or trying this. I also do think experimenting as a concept is nice because it takes away the idea of failure. I mean, if you're experimenting with a new situation or a new environment or a new diet or, or a new process, um, ex you know, you can always go back if, it, if you don't, if you're not feeling it, but experiment, you know, I think a big reason people don't try new things is they've got this fear of, of failure, this fear of, you know, learning and they're not, you know, and so I think if you if you stop worrying so much about how it's going to turn out and maybe just explore and experiment and say this is just practice this is just trying it um then you're you you become a lot more willing to try new things and, and you become a lot more flexible and willing and open to new experiences yeah absolutely and you you talk about a lot of those things in the book as well from memory yeah for sure mm -hmm. um I was going to ask a question there. It's, it's past me. You've got a new book, which I think is going to link beautifully to your previous book, which is called Personality uh, Isn't Permanent. And it's really debunking some of the myths around the you know, personality test that you talk about, Myers-Briggs, etc., which I've you know been involved in. I think many people listening would have um, been involved in, with or encountered. Um, but you're saying that personality from those tests is certainly not determined. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that this book is... Um going to probably just, you know, as I'm scaling it, as I wrote it, mm. as I'm thinking about it, thinking about it in the context of pop culture, I think that this book will probably sell 10 to 100 times as much as Will Power Doesn't Work and receive 10 to 100 times as much scrutiny, um, <laughs> both for good and bad. But uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see how people respond and how people, because these personality tests are 100% um, very popular, very cultural, especially here in the U.S. I mean, people love the Enneagram as an example. Um, but to just give a little background mm, um, to kind of explain the situation. So first off, personality is generally defined as a person's consistent attitudes and behaviors and, and, and how they respond and react to various situations. Yeah. Um, you know, the key term there is consistent. And it, it's generally assumed by many people that your personality is the innate authentic you it's, yeah. it's it's kind of who you are and it's something that you must figure out and discover mm. um which is why people create these personality tests so that it's kind of a, a discovery mechanism it's a discovery tool that then can open you up and give you you know clarity and verbiage on how to describe and understand yourself so that then you can be true to your true self and build your life around your personality so that you don't you know deal with 
pursuits and goals and ambitions and jobs that are outside the true you. Uh, that's kind of the general perspective is that, you know, your personality is who you are. It's to be discovered. And once you finally make that discovery, if you do, and a lot of people never do, but once you finally discover who you truly are, then you can then build your life around your personality. Live you an can, authentic life. Yeah, you can, and you can pursue a life that is, that fits you. Yeah. Um, and this view of personality uh, does come from a dominant school in psychology that your personality comes from your past, that the past is the most fundamental aspect of who you are, mm. and that the past is where you can really come to understand yourself. And so, um, you know, the past is, is as prologue, as they say. Um, it's a lot of problems with these, these views of personality. Um, first off, just kind of from a memory perspective, your memory of the past is never always the same. <laughs> like the, the past is always changing, to be fully honest with you. From a memory perspective, your, your, your past is actually a more reflection of who you currently are because memory is always reconstructed in the present. Um, hmm. so there's a quote, That's an interesting a, concept. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll kind of explain it a little bit. So there's a quote from Dr. Stephen Covey. He said, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Um, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. So mm -hmm. we see it through our own perceptual filter. The same is true of our past. We don't see the past as it is. We see it as we are. Um, and so as we go through life and as we change our view of past events, Changes. probably changes it should <laughs> you know because we're seeing it from a different context we, we've got different vantage points different connecting dots um and so there's a psychologist his name is dr brent slife he wrote a book called time and psychological explanation and he really breaks down how time works psychologically but one of the things he talks about is he says that you know most people believe that the past is causing the present, that the past is what's generating the present. Mm. He said, but psychologically, it's actually far more accurate to say that the present causes the past. Yeah. The, pa the, the present is what's actually shaping the meaning of the past and uh, that your memory is contextual and it's fluid and it's changing. And it's just like history. History changes based on perspective, based on time. Um, and so... They often say, but in, yeah. you know, if you're dealing with trauma or something like that, let's go back to the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that and dangerous it, then? Not exactly, um, but it's important to realize that in going back to the past, um, that what you're really trying to do is reshape the meaning of the experience and, and reshape the emotion. It's really helpful for, for trauma, in this case, to become informational, not emotional, because trauma is suppressed emotion. Essentially, it's it's a it's a negative reaction. So so trauma actually is one of the things that drives personality. Um, it's one of the key levers, is what I call it. But um, right. so so yeah, there. If 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 you have unresolved trauma from your past, then it is going to lead you down certain paths in the present. It really will. Um, if you you know if you're in consistent environments, then your personality is going to probably show up pretty consistently. Um, you know, if you have the same identity narrative, you keep telling the same story about who you are based on the same events, then you're going to see yourself a certain way. Hmm. Um, and so that's one of the challenges of these personality tests as well, hmm. is, is that they create, they create a, uh, they create a tunnel vision. They create stigmatize a, um, you. Exactly. Yeah. They, they create a label, you know, and you can then explain yourself, which really helps people. But the problem is that that label then becomes your view of the world. You see the world through the label. But you, you align yourself. To that label, you do with behaviors you do. like I'm. I'm told to be an introvert, which many people would probably disagree. 
Um, but I yeah. know that because of doing those tests, I often go, yeah, I'm an introvert, you know, and it's a little bit of a story I tell myself. Yeah. Well, so that's how we, that's how we form our identity is through storytelling. Mm, and yeah. so these tests create a nice lens or a, a nice story that we can then use to explain ourselves. And that story then becomes, you know, our identity and our story becomes the driver of our behavior. Yeah. Uh, a big problem with all of this, there's, se there's several problems. <laughs> um, one is, is that these tests ignore context. You get one score and you assume that that score is true in every situation when it's not. In some situations, you're going to be more introverted and some you're going to be more, more extroverted and some you're going to be more happy and some you're going to be more sad. Like, yeah, you know, when you're absolutely. when you're working, when you're interviewing me, you're going to be more, you know, you know, you're really going to be thinking and you're going to be on the toes and you're going to be asking me lots of questions, very thoughtful. When you're about to go to bed, you know, or zoning out, you're going to be just laying on the couch relaxing. Um, and so like, we're different in con in different contexts, and personality is very contextual. It's very based on your situation, your role. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that you know if you take a personality test in one situation and you take the same test in another situation, you're probably gonna get different scores. Yeah, uh, makes sense. The distance the distance between tests really matters too. There's a lot of new research showing that the time between tests, uh, you know, as the time gets greater and greater, the scores become less and less. Uh, related, you know, if it's been like 20 years since you've taken the test, you're probably gonna get a totally different score. Um, so there's a there's a psychologist named Dr. Daniel Gilbert. Oh, yeah. He's a, yeah he's at Harvard and yeah. he studied personality change over time. And one of the things he studied is uh, he'll ask people, you know, think about who you were 10 years ago. Hmm. Think about your interests. Think about you know your tastes, your goals, your your relationships, what you were thinking about, your environment, like. Have you changed much in the last 10 years? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. You feel like you've you've changed in various ways in your interests, your goals, your situation, your your habits? I feel like there's a lot of beliefs. things that uh, desires, I suppose, and ambitions uh, maybe are still there, but there's a lot of things that have changed about me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a quote from the British philosopher Elaine de Button. He said, if it, he said basically, anyone who isn't embarrassed of who they were 12 months ago didn't learn very much. That <laughs> <laughs> was just a funny statement. But um, what's, what's, what's interesting about what... Uh, I have to think about that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think there's it's There's probably true. plenty so, of things. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're actively pursuing a desired future self, hmm. if you're actively pursuing goals on a daily basis, which involves trying things you've never done, being courageous, moving forward, failing, learning, adjusting... Um, rather than being on autopilot 95% of the time. Yeah. Um, if you're actively pursuing stuff on a daily basis towards a future that you're, you've consciously thought about, then you're probably going to go through a, a huge amount of learning. You know, if you're mm. putting yourself into new situations, having new experiences, um, yeah. reading new books, meeting mm. new people, you're probably going to learn a lot and be a pretty different person in one year. The challenge, I think, for a lot of people is, is that they're not, let's just say, incredibly active about those things. Well, it changes um, so maybe, your story through the context, doesn't it? So, it does, and and you can actually become a conscious narrator, which is you know there's a lot of research on what's called narrative identity, yeah. um, but it's it's really about you becoming the storyteller, not only of your future and your present, but of your past and of shaping the meaning and the story of your past and and, and consciously deciding how you want to frame it. Um, and and when you really come to realize that memory is fluid, uh, you you get to. You get to rethink traumatic experiences. You get to rethink how you frame and view your your former self. So you have a former self, you have a current self, and you have a future self. Uh, you have many former selves and many future selves. But what the research shows is that it's it's really good for decision making to 
to view these different versions of you as different people. So your former self is not your current self. They're two different people. Yeah. Um, you're not you're not your former self anymore. It's not who you are. You're actually a different person now. You're in a different context, different situation. You've got uh, different demands, different goals. Your future self is not your current self either. Hmm. Um, your future self hopefully sees the world a little bit better. They see things differently. They have different um, things that matter to them, different things that they're focused on and worried about. Um, maybe their priorities are, are a little finer tuned than your current priorities. Uh, their habits are different. And so it becomes really good for decision making to start first off defining your future self. Who yeah. are they? Yeah. Uh, a problem for most people or for many people at least is that they haven't done that. Um, what Dr. Gilbert, again, who does this research finds is that People are bad at predicting the future, not because they can't, but because they don't. They don't take the time to imagine a future self, and they don't take the time to define it, um, because it's a lot easier to remember the past than to imagine the future. And so what we do is we mm. imagine, we imagine, we remember our past selves, and we assume that that's who we are, rather than imagining a future self and proactively making steps to becoming that person. Um, so our identity is generally based on the past because of the ease of remembering rather than becoming skilled at imagining and defining and then you know and then using the future as the basis of our identity rather than the past. I guess a lot of people must call bullshit on themselves but when they're starting to visualize a future self that perhaps isn't aligned with what they feel about their current self or past self. That's fine. I I don't know why why uh, why why it should be aligned. It should be different. Yeah. It's your by nature. It should be more imagined, and it should be who you want to be. It shouldn't reflect your current or your former self. It's a different person. So who cares if it's different? I'm fine with that. Uh, but don't you think that'd be a challenge for a lot of people to accept? Uh, I don't think you it know? has to be. I think I think if you become a more flexible thinker. I yeah. Think, yeah. You know, I think if I think so, one of the one of the big keys to first off imagining a future self, but then having the confidence to proactively and flexibly become that future self yeah. is mental and psychological flexibility. Yes. Uh, and confidence. You need. You know, if you've got flex mental flexibility and if you've got confidence, then you're then you're less dogmatic hmm. about who you think you are. You're less you you're you're less um, sure. And, and defensive about your current identity and about how you currently define yourself. And you're more open to the fact that your current self is temporary and that you're going to be different. You're going to see things different in the future. So you stop overly owning your current identity. And, and you know that, you're, that you're, you can and will and have changed and you can change. And so you put less stock in your current self. You, you, you stop, you know, and so I, I think it's I yeah, think it's cool. good hmm. to say, you know, to be more flexible and to, and, um, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things though about trauma yeah. is that trauma shatters imagination. That's what the research has showed is it, it shatters not only obviously hope and, uh, you know, but it shatters your ability to be imaginative unless you go back through and resolve it. Um, right. because trauma by nature if it's unresolved, it, it leads to emotional rigidity. It leads you to being rigid, and yeah. it leads you to being black and white in your thinking, um, and it leads to a fixed mindset about yourself and about your capability and about what you can do. Whereas, gotcha. imagination and psychological flexibility, you know, which are built through confidence, which is built through making small progress towards a desired goal, hmm. you become more and more flexible. You start to see new possibilities for yourself, and you 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 believe it's possible, and you're you're less tied to and rigid to who you were. You're less tied to and rigid to who you are. 
and you, you know that you're, you're flexible, you know that you can change, you know that you do change, and you know that you can change. And so you, you stop overly assuming that you're going to always be the same. You stop assuming that this is how you actually always are. Yes. Um, yes. You, stop, you stop defending your labels. Um, you stop setting goals based on your current personality. And you start setting goals based on who you want to be. And then you adjust your personality to your goals rather than setting goals based on your personality. So there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it's a it's lot huge. more powerful. It's, yeah, there's a lot, a lot, a lot more powerful to base your... <laughs> what, what was that? It's deep. Yeah, it's a lot more powerful to base your personality on your goals than your goals on your personality. If you if you base your you know, if you base your goals on your personality, then you're only going to do what's currently comfortable to you, what yeah. feels natural to you. Um, and if that's the case, then you're never going to really put yourself through deep transformational learning. You're going to avoid a lot of experiences yeah. because they don't feel comfortable. This is why people think that their personality is their true and authentic self, yeah. and they use that as a scapegoat or they use that as an excuse for not doing hard things <laughs> they use that and so for me as an example just as yeah. true example yeah if i were making all my decisions based on my current personality i would have never been a parent i would have never been throwing myself into foster care because that's that's like the opposite of what's natural and easy to me um that's the opposite you know and so having a sense of purpose and and, and, and having a sense of of goal and and, and purpose leads you to doing things that are not necessarily comfortable but are, are meaningful and transformative and so over and over you, you can see that purpose shapes personality or it trumps it trumps personality and it can lead and, and guide and transform personality and that's what it's done for me and, and you, if you look at the lives of many people and i can give examples if you want like having a sense of purpose leads you down a path that ultimately transforms you into someone new so purpose can it, it gives meaning to your identity if you if you if you allow it to, and your identity and how you define yourself leads to your behaviors, your actions, and and those things over time consistently become your personality. So Makes a it's a sense. lot more powerful to have your personality be the byproduct of your purpose, yes. where you're transforming into the person you want to become, rather than being purposeless and just making choices based on what's currently your comfortable to you and how you define purpose. It. Do it the other yep. way around. How do you talk to yourself? Like, how do you personally talk to yourself about your future self? Um, very confidently. Mm -hmm. You know, like my my future self is in a much different place than my current self. Uh, my current self, my current confidence and my current capability is nowhere near where my future selves is. Like, you know, like what? And so I take plenty of time to think about and define it. You know, and in the book, actually, literally, there's probably at least 100 to 120 journal prompts, just questions. Yeah. Uh, I could even read you a few if you want. Um, yeah, give us a couple. Yeah, I'll read you a few. So, like, um, here's here's just a couple questions. Um, so, you know, thinking about who your future self is, like, what is their day-to-day -day life like? And, you know, I say there, not your, because they're a different person than you, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what do they stand for? Like, what do they care about? How much money do they make? What type of clothes do they wear? How do they interact with other people? How do they view their present and future? What is their purpose? Where do they live? Who are their friends? What are their skills and talents? Um, just taking some time. I mean, you could get even more detailed. What do they wear? What does their hair look like? Um, yeah, yeah. Really what are they focused on, on? And you can yeah, reflect just, on this as part of your journaling exercises. I think so. I mean, I think that... It's a good time. I, I, what's, what's really interesting and important about this is that without having a clear future self in mind, 
I don't know if you've heard of the concept of deliberate practice. Yeah. Deliberate practice is pretty popular. You know, the, the idea that you, you know, you have to practice in really intense strategic ways to become expert. But what the research shows is that it's actually impossible to engage in deliberate practice without, okay. without an envisioned future self with the skills that you're currently developing. You have to actually see yourself in your mind with the skills you're developing in order to get, engage in deliberate practice. Um, in order to motivate yourself and get yourself moving, like you have to see and sense that your future self has the skills that you're working so hard to develop. Right. Um, it's impossible to engage in true deliberate practice without that envisioned okay. future self. Um, and so it gives per perspective and, and, and it gives meaning to your daily process. You know, like for example, me, I'm, I'm on this podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do a, a lot of these types of podcasts and interviews, but there's a reason why I'm doing it. It's, it's because my future self is worth it in order to do this. Now I love doing this. Um, but I wouldn't engage in this behavior if I didn't have a future self that was driving it. And so yeah. what that what that leads you to realize is that your personality is actually being driven by your future, not your past. Mm. Um, it's based on the future that you're currently seeking and pursuing, um, which is really interesting to think about when you start thinking about, well, what the heck is, am I currently pursuing? Um, yeah. You know, uh, maybe it hasn't been thought out enough. Um, one, 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 one other just quick thought, which is really important, is that peak experiences, which are something that Abraham Maslow coined, but there other people have talked about peak experiences. Peak experiences are aha moments, they're epiphanies, they're moments of awe. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they're, omen, they're moments that redefine your identity and your sense of self and also redefine your view of the world. Peak, they're, they're the things that lead to flexibility, they're the things that lead to confidence, they're the things that lead to um, ultimately what he called self-actualization, which is where you're kind of at your highest possible self. Yeah. You can't get there without these, with multiple peak experiences, or I would argue regular peak experiences. What, what Maslow found, though, is, is that for most people, peak experiences are rare. And there's a guy named Colin Wilson who, he was, he's dead now, but he was a philosopher and, and writer and psychologist, I think, and he, he wrote a lot about peak experiences. Yeah. And one of the things he said is, is that peak experiences are the byproduct of an intentional attitude. Like, you, you know, on the opposite end, you know, depression is the opposite. I mean, depression is the outcome of passivity, being passive. Right. And Makes sense. Whereas peak experiences, you got to be purposeful in order to have them. Yeah. And so kind of pulling this all together with what we were talking about with decision fatigue and making choices and making decisions, the more intentional you are about where you're going, like let's just say you have a future self in mind and you've begun to generate goals that you believe will help you become your future self. Mm. And as you actively begin pursuing those, as you pursue those, obviously it's often gonna require courage. You're gonna be intentional and often you're gonna have to be courageous. If you're, if you're pursuing a, a future that's bigger than your present, you're gonna have to act above your present situation and self, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're going to have to surround yourself in situations and experiences and, and, and act above your current capability and confidence. Let's say above your current ability. Um, but you're going to be making choices mm. and acting towards that future self. And those and, and, and if you do that regularly, you will have many of what these experiences are called peak experiences. You'll, they'll become regular for you. Become regular. Yeah. And really, they're just ahas and epiphanies, and they're they're little things that reach reshape the meaning of of how you see things and how you view things. And this is how your past increasingly alters and changes in meaning and purpose. And it's how your, it's how your future becomes increasingly clear and powerful. And it's something that could and should happen regularly for people. It uh, could happen on a morning basis if you were 
waking up and actively and intentionally pursuing your future self. Mm. And so it, it's powerful. And the more, you know, there's a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. He said, a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its former dimensions. And so, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're having these ahas regularly, it becomes a norm. You know, you get used to learning. You get used to just aha moments of just being woken up more or, or being, uh, you know, opened up a little bit more and just seeing things better and refining your perspective, refining. There's a quote that says that, uh, you know, wisdom or intelligence is the ability to make finer and finer distinctions. And so, like, you just you see the world with a better filter. You see the past with a better filter. You stop being so critical about your former self or about trans, you know, of traumatic experiences and you start becoming grateful for them and, and seeing how they've led you to where you are or how they've been beneficial or how they could continue to be beneficial. Uh, you stop seeing the past so dogmatically and you stop seeing yourself so dogmatically and you stop, you stop needing to overly define yourself. Um, I, I, th I think the use Such of clarity. labels, mm. <laughs> I think the use of labels in, in our obsession with these tests, not only does it create a fixed mindset, but it also, it overly boxes you in rather than being flexible and imaginative and, and uh, pursuing, you know, new and different versions of yourself. I mean, one of the, you know, again, I said that labels create tunnel vision. What, what we call that in psychology is selective attention. Yeah. Selective attention is basically the idea that you see the world through a filter. You see what's meaningful to you. You see what you identify with. And so when, when someone's defined themselves as depressed, they believe that they're always depressed, even though that's not actually the case. Mm. Um, there's a lot of times when they're, they're living contrary to the label, but they themselves don't actually notice or appreciate that because they don't value or notice or recognize. They don't attend to those moments. They just assume that they're always consistent with how they've defined themselves when that's actually not true. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting stuff. It's very interesting stuff. A um, lot more to your book, no doubt. Uh, yeah, this this book's got a lot. Um, is it bigger than yeah, the last book, one? Um, is it bigger? Yeah. As far as pages, I, I, I guess probably not enormously, but it's um, probably maybe twenty to thirty pages longer. It's 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 it. I would. So this book took a, a year longer to write than Willpower. Okay. I had to get far more mentoring and editing. It's, it's, I would argue the writing of it is at least 10 times better. The storytelling is 10 times better. The thinking is a lot harder and more innovative. I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, I think Willpower presented a lot of novel and interesting ideas, but I think that this one pushes mm. boundaries a lot further. Um, yeah, there's a lot of depth to it based on what you've just, you know, talked about. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think that I think it's going to blow people away. Uh, you know, yeah. just talking. One of the things that I talk about in the book, you know, talking about narrative identity is is that it's it's a lot more authentic and courageous actually to um, be honest about who your future self is or who you want it to be. I, I find that people are not as honest and authentic about that, um, about what they genu genuinely want for themselves. I think that we kind of well, we base what we want on ourselves maybe too much externally rather than internally. Well, but also if you really internally. Maybe you're not aware of what you really want yeah, well, or you're it. too scared to be genuine and tell people around you what you really want because that might that might mean you can't be friends anymore because you got to go do something else, you know. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of courage just to say this is who I want to be. This is mm. what I want to do. This mm. is what I'm committed to doing. This is my new story. This is my new narrative is that this is who I'm going to be. Um, I don't know if you know, you know, the. have you heard the musical Hamilton by chance? Oh, I haven't, no. You've heard of it, though, right? Yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's good. There's a song called Satisfied, and it's about, it's kind of a song depicting the experience when Alexander Hamilton meets his wife. Yeah. Um, 
at a party. They're like at a party, they're young 20s up in New York City. Hmm. But he first meets the sister. So there's these two sisters. They're called the Skylar sisters. One's name is Angelica. Um, the other one is Eliza. Um, but Angelica is kind of like the, the older sister, the more refined sister. And he's at least as depicted in the musical. That's the one that Alexander meets first. But the context at the time was that people married mostly for social class, at least at that time in the United States. Like you wouldn't want to marry someone who was poor. You wanted to marry someone who was rich. Um, and Alexander Hamilton was an immigrant, uh, from the Caribbean who was poor. Um, and so one of the first questions you would always ask is like, who's your family, where you're from, just to get the background so that you could know if this person's worth, you know, your time or not. And so, you know, Angelica Schuyler, you know, there's a sex, a session, a section in the song, where they meet each other and she says, my name is Alexander, uh, my name is Angelica Schuyler. And he says, Alexander Hamilton. And then she says, where's your family from? And he says, unimportant. There's a million things I haven't done. Just you wait. Um, and basically, it's kind of interesting because rather than saying, yeah, rather than saying this is who I am and this is where I'm from, he says, there's a million things I haven't done. He's talking about his future and he says, just you wait. And, you know, she's thrown off and she's kind of like, who's this guy I think he is? Like, this guy's, you know, this guy's whatever. But I, I like that, you know, and obviously Alexander Hamilton, because of his brashness and his courage, he ended up doing a lot of a lot of amazing, courageous, crazy things and was historical. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I think if uh, if you want to start becoming a little bit bolder and more courageous and kind of upping your subconscious a little bit, start telling people about who you want to be and about what you're going to do and then start proving it. You know, because people, it doesn't really matter if people believe you. The only thing that really matters is if you believe yourself. But if you, if you start acting the part. Well, I um, think if you start, you know, consciously thinking about it and journaling about it and doing those things daily, um, even if you're not taking massive action straight away, just that act yeah. alone will start bringing that, that yeah. opportunity to you. That'll, yeah. Yeah. It'll start to train your selective attention so that your right. your mental filter starts seeing your future all over the place rather than your past all over the place. You know, you see the world again as it, as you are, not as it is. And so it becomes a lot more powerful when you really reshape your perceptual lens of the world so that you're you're seeing your future everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that you're seeing your future self. And, and in your future self becomes the framing of your identity story and how you identify yourself and how rather than some personality test or something else, your, your vision and your goals are the thing that are now shaping how you see yourself and, and your verbs and your, how you describe yourself. And I do think it's powerful. It doesn't, you know, you know, bold actions are one thing, but it it is bold even in a small way to tell people your goals uh, and to tell people what it is you're going to do. And, uh, to not necessarily put too much stock in their opinion, but just to just to own that this is who I am, and, and then you need then the need will become to surround yourself with people who encourage that, because it takes encouragement to act courageous, um, and so you, you would need you'd need people to encourage you in the pursuit of your goals and in the pursuit of your future self, and uh, you'd probably need to insulate yourself from the from the people who would try to keep you from 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 growing out of your your current identity. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that environment, important. Oh, yeah, it's big. It's big, man. Mate, what's... Um, oh, there's a bunch of other questions I could ask, but um, we're, we're coming to the end of the time. What What is next for you? Oh, this book is coming out in June, I believe. Personality isn't permanent. Yes, it is. Coming out in June. And what's next for you beyond this? Where's, your, where's um, yourself in three years? Yeah, my, my you know, to be honest with you, my future self in three years from now is, uh, has stepped back from a lot of, uh, a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, I believe that this book will sell 10 million or more copies in the next three years. I'm, I'm pretty committed to that goal. That's, 
I think a, a one goal target to enable my future self. And I think once once I get there, I'll be in a kind of a financial and also in a in a mental situation where uh, I'm going to be probably obviously spending a lot more time with my family and my kids. And I'll probably be engaging in a lot more um, missionary work, to be honest with you. Like, okay. uh, yeah. yeah, so my future self is going to be kind of leading uh, a lot of leadership, a lot of development, a lot of missionary work. And um, nice. just because that's really meaningful to me, that really transformed my life when I was a 20 year old kid. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be doing that really well. And I'll still write. I'll still be writing, you know, I'll be working on the next book, but uh, mainly I'll be focused on my family and on that. And I'll, I'll not be uh, doing a lot of the entrepreneurial activity and being involved in a lot of the networks I'm in right now. I'm going to be uh, kind of done with that, and that'll be the chat. That chapter will be closed. Okay. What? Um, and this is a question that I had sort of when you started talking about your daily routine. It, it, from an external brief perspective, I feel that you've you've simplified your daily life as far as what you do and what you take on. And you haven't overcomplicated it. And I certainly find myself, um, I know I'm more effective when I simplify things, but I also know that I always add to it, add to it, add to it, add to it, and take on too much and do too much. And then I get to the end of the day feeling like I've never completed what I want to do. Is that yep. a good perspective of, of your daily life? And how have you gone about it? I, I, I think that the future self is the ultimate filter. Hmm. I think once you define your future self, and you get pretty crystal on it and you get pretty committed to it and you're pretty emotionally engaged in that idea, then it becomes the filter for every decision you make and you, you gotta be honest with yourself. Is this is, is taking on this thing really gonna be worth it? Um, How does it is, this, yeah. is this gonna pull me the wrong, the wrong direction? Is this just me grabbing an opportunity because I don't have confidence that I can go the path I ultimately want to? Can I actually say no yep. to things that uh, you know are good opportunities but also they're opportunities that re reflect my current self and not my future self. And so I think that being honest with your filter and being honest with your, your current, you know, your current capacity and focusing on the few things that matter most and making the few key impacts on a daily basis you can and realizing you're just one person, you can only do so many things on a given day, making a few key impacts, giving yourself a huge pat on the back, giving yourself some rest and recovery, some, you know, some, focus on maybe the other areas of your life. Uh, I've, I've been asking people a lot lately about balance or not really balance, but burnout mm. and just getting fried. And, uh, and I do find that burnout is the product of not being balanced in your area and your life. And that's not just balance in how you spend your time, but balance, like, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mm. yeah. um, you know, being healthy, uh, getting rest, uh, not being overstressed, not being overstrapped, uh, only having a few key priorities and a few key goals. Um, that allows you longevity. Whereas I think when you're over, when you're saying yes to too much, when you're trying too many things, you're, you're burning yourself out. You're probably overstressed and you're probably not eating well enough or, or over relying on stimulants. And, and so I just think that there's a, there's a healthier approach and, and mm. it's, it turns out to be a better approach and more effective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mate, uh, pleasure to chat with you today. How can people best find you, reach out and read your work? I know you're big on Medium. Yeah, I mean, you can go to benjaminhardy.com yep. uh, and you can see blogs and stuff. I would highly recommend anyone who's liked this conversation to pre-order um, Personality Isn't Permanent. Absolutely. It's, it's, 
it's definitely going to be a work that's going to really shift you and challenge you and open you up and uh, not only open up your future, but it's going to reshape your, your past yep. and uh, help you reframe your traumas and help you move forward and help you become the narrator of your yourself and your story and uh, help you become intentional. And so I, I would challenge you to, to make that, to, you know, to, to pre-order that. And that's kind of the main thing, man. Yeah, no worries. I'll stick the link in the show notes, guys, for this episode. Uh, episode 890, I believe. So um, check that out at thehiddenwhy.com and uh, reach out to Ben as well. Awesome, man. Really a brilliant interview. We really had a lot of fun with you tonight. Me or too, for mate. you this morning. <laughs> for the morning. Mate, thank you for coming on and we'll uh, touch base again soon. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden white this is the hidden white my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon